Good evening, everyone. I'm uh, very grateful to have been. Can can you hear me? Okay, I've got these earbuds in. I think they work pretty well. Uh, I felt very grateful that uh, Cloud Rider Intimate Speaking the Truth Karen invited me to uh, speak at Valley Streams. The Zendo is so beautiful. I've never seen the new place. It's probably not that new anymore. It's just lovely. And I um, just appreciate the hybrid where people can tune in and you stream it or Zoom it and people can finally come back together and, and be in the Zendo. I know how joyful that is to practice again face-to-face, whether we're masked or not. So thank you for the invitation. I uh, wanted to speak tonight. The, the kind of underlying theme is about the uh, teaching of no gaining idea, no gaining idea, which if you are familiar with Suzuki Roshi's uh, lectures in, in Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, and the other collection of the archive of lectures, you will see that he brings up no gaining idea many, many times. In fact, if you look at the index of the talks, uh, there's just a long list of lectures where he brings this teaching up. And during this uh, time of so many, so many difficulties, the pandemic, we're almost used to it uh, for these many years, but the war, the wars, not only Ukraine, but Somalia, all sorts of wars, neighborhood wars, the wars of gun violence, uh, racial oppression, all of these things, climate, the destruction of our beloved planet, all of these things we are living with, we are living through, we are living together and and there's no uh we can't go someplace else you know where it will be um where everything will be fine so in this context of the life that we share you know one of Suzuki's lectures he says buddhas know that the first noble truth is the truth of suffering. So we don't have much hope, which is, he said it in a, in a kind of, um, joyful way, actually. We accept and meet what we need to, uh, and let go of some kind of hoping that it's going to be some other way. We just meet it completely. So during this time and for these last years, uh, going back to the basics, 
themes really important to me. And this teaching of no gaining idea, I've found it's not just Suzuki Roshi's um, teaching in the 60s and 70s to his uh, students that came to practice with him in San Francisco in the Bay Area. And it's, it's a teaching that goes much uh, deeper than that, that he brought forth from uh, Dogen Zenji, our first ancestor in Japan, and also their sutras, Prajnaparamita, Perfection of Wisdom Sutra, that brings it up. There's also other sutras. So my question to myself is, how does this teaching of no gaining idea meet meet our uh, need and strong innermost desire to practice thoroughly and completely, no matter what? How is no gaining idea? How does it support us? So... Um, one place, other than all these lectures of Suzuki Roshi, that it comes up is in um, a work of uh, Dogen's called um, Gakudo Yojinshu. Gakudo Yojinshu, which is translated in various ways. One is points to watch in Buddhist practice, guidelines for studying the way is in Munana Dudrap Tanahashi-san translates it. And it isn't really part of the treasury of the true Dharma I, Dogen's masterwork. It's kind of its own standalone uh, piece of writing. And it's, it's a list of points that we should not uh, forget about and that will guide us in studying Buddhism, studying the way. Uh, and there, you know, these were written in uh, 1234. So Dogen had been to China, returned to Japan, bringing the, uh, the teachings of Soto Zen that he encountered and with this fervor to pass on this teaching to uh, the students in Japan. And this is before a Heiji, the monastery that he founded, uh, was established. It's right when he moved into Kanon Dori, this smaller monastery that he taught this. And probably to newer students. Uh, and so I, I find these 10 uh, points to not forget uh, really uh, wonderful for us as well. The first one is basically you should uh, arouse the thought of enlightenment. You should arouse way-seeking mind or bodhicitta. That's the first one. It starts there. And we just had a departing student ceremony at Green Gulch. And when the uh, head of the meditation hall speaks to the person who will be leaving, they say, having aroused way-seeking mind, having, and then they list, you know, contributed to the well-being of this temple, etc. But the first is having aroused way-seeking mind. 
So that's the first of these points to arouse way-seeking mind. And then it says the way you arouse way-seeking mind is to see into the uh, reality of impermanence. This is how, is how we awaken the mind of a bodhisattva that wants to live for the benefit of beings. Bodhicitta, we, it comes along with seeing and not turning away from impermanence. So that's the first one. And you can look these up yourself if you ever want, or maybe you've studied them yourself. Um, the fourth one is, there's a couple of translations, but it's, you should not practice, practice Buddha's teaching with the idea of gain. You should not practice the Buddha's teaching with the idea of gain. So there it is. This is Dogen in these 10 points to remember for studying the way. And another translation of that is, uh, let's see. There's, there's a bunch of different ones that are out there. Uh, but this is Tanahashi sounds. You should not practice Buddha's teaching with the idea of gain. And Suzuki Roshi's translation is for the fourth instruction is the need for training in Buddhism without self-seeking mind. So this, this no gaining idea or this mind that's seeking to get things, good things for ourselves. Uh, now in this, it's, it's, you know, all of these points are not that long. And in this, um, discussion of no gaining idea, uh, one of the things that's brought up is this mind that neither grabs after things nor pushes things away. And in reading that and studying that, I realized that's almost the first thing we hear when we have zazen instruction, you know, besides all the sitting upright and correct bodily posture and not leaning one way or the other and all the posture points. And then when it comes to what about what, what is the practice? What we've taken care of all these bodily practices. And then it's, Neither with your mind, you know, neither push things away nor grab onto things. And that's what it says in this instruction for uh, not practicing with gaining idea. Uh, so this training comes up in different ways, not, uh, not practicing zazen for the sake of good and special experiences is brought up. Suzuki, Suzuki Roshi brings that up. Not practicing to get merit for ourselves or, and then one might think, but, but I, I do practice. I want to, uh, feel, um, more alive or, or meet my life in a wholesome way and help other people. But, 
this is a very strict practice. Even that is uh, the admonition is to let admonition is to even let go of that practicing for trying to get anything, even you know wholesome benefits for ourselves to let that go. So you know this when I you know in studying this this is not an easy practice I feel the um. Um, and I, I wanted to further kind of look into this. So there is a fascicle in Shobogenzo called, uh, serving, making offerings or serving offerings to the Buddha. And in this fascicle, which I read years ago and kind of skipped over it, it was like, I don't know, a little bit boring or something. I didn't get it, but I was studying it again recently. And in this fascicle, I think it's 88 in Tanahashi-san's book, uh, the Buddha, he, he quotes the sutra where the Buddha is saying, he's talking to one of his disciples, Mokalyana, and he says, I had this vision of myself in, in past lives, this vision of me serving myriads of Buddhas in the past. And making offerings to them of incense and flowers and clothing and food and, and for kalpas, you know, for indescribably long periods of time, I gave these offerings and, you know, with adoration and however, and then the, the Buddha says this in this sutra, uh, they did not uh, give me prediction. Now, prediction is a kind of technical term, but basically in many sutras, the lotus in particular, the Buddha says, you will, he says to his disciples, in a, in a, you know, in the future, you will become a Buddha and you will, this will be your, abode and your name will be such and such and the uh, in the lotus sutra the the arahats who who thought they never would become buddhas they had reached the pinnacle with arhatship they're just like in ecstasies they dance for joy and it and many of them and the buddha predicts like 500 and he predicts everybody all these people are predicted and and the the teaching of this is that we all are uh, confirmed and affirmed in our in our Buddha nature already. But in this in this particular um, sutra, the Buddha is saying, "But nobody confirmed me." And then he talks again. There's many paragraphs where he says, "And then I served these Buddhas." many more Buddhas, countless Buddhas, and I gave offerings, and I, you know, he just lists all these things that were given, but I was not affirmed or confirmed, predicted. And why, the Buddha says, because I had the mind of greedily wanting something. Another translation is expectation of gain. I had expectation of gain. So here's Sakyamuni Buddha, you know, 
in these doing these practices that are beyond like immeasurably wholesome practices of serving the teachers and the Buddhists. However, he was doing it when he looked carefully with an expectation of gain. Our very own Chakimuni Buddha. This really, um, really struck me. You know, this is um, the subtlety of it. Like, yes, these are wonderful things, but is part of me wanting something for me, for myself, merit or to be um, adored by my friends and family and students and people I work with is part of why I'm practicing. Is there something else going on besides this is the way I want to live? I This is the Buddha way is to practice like this not for any uh, expectation of gain. So finally, in the sutra, the name of which, it's a sutra that I've not read, um, called the Sutra of Buddha's Original Practice. And finally, he meets Dipankara Buddha, who he... um, was predicted and, and he made offerings and so forth. And at that time, he had a kind of, um, this is the Buddha. He gained the, uh, it, it's a technical term. It's the Anutpata Dharma Kashanti. And it's translated in a couple of different ways. One is the patient acceptance of dharmas which failed to be produced. This is, this is a technical term that a bodhisattva realizes. They realize that, uh, another translation is the intuitive tolerance for the inconceivability of all things. And you can find this in um, the Vimalakirti Sutra and Prashnaparamita Sutras, where the Bodhisattvas realize that there is nothing to get. Why do we not practice with gaining idea or fame and gain or getting something for ourselves? And the reason is the reality of our life is there are no dharmas or there's nothing actually grasping things is basically delusion. The reality of our life is there's nothing in this non-dual understanding of self and others. There is nothing to go after and get. And, and this um, Buddha in his past lives, when he met Dipankara, he had this patient acceptance or tolerance, intuitive tolerance for the inconceivability of that, like not being able to conceive of anything outside of himself that you can get. So this, um, and then he was predicted, Deepankara predicted in a, in the next, you know, you will be a Buddha. So this was this, the, the Buddha going from 
finding out that he had expectation of gain over and over again. And this sutra is paragraph after paragraph that ends with, you know, I, I realized I had expectation of gain. So this is, in the Buddha, this is quite a subtle quality. And, you know, thinking of my own practice and stories about, well, you know, this, maybe we've dropped off fame and gain. Maybe that is, we've let that go or renounced worldly affairs. That's not really such a problem, you know, anymore. However, the subtle, sticky quality of wanting gain of, of various kinds or expectation of gain, uh, can come up. And it's, it's something more subtle and harder to see, harder to notice in ourselves. And I think, uh, our friends and teachers and Dharma friends can help us, you know, we can maybe get a feel for it when we're, we're, um, resentful or annoyed or, um, angry or bitter. You know, we could, we can ask ourselves what or, or feel um, kind of sticky quality sometimes. And we can ask, you know, what did I have some expectation of getting something out of this, wanting something out of this, or was I just fully practicing Zazen or precepts for that matter? This comes up again um, in the Prajnaparamita Sutra. Uh, where I, I just copied it out to um, read to you, where they're talking about um, precepts and the practice of precepts. Now I can't find it where I copied it. And it says if you have excessive um, enthusiastic seeking for the positive things that come to you by practicing the precepts, this is not the full practice of the precepts. This kind of expectation, well, if I practice this way, the fruit of that will be something that I can get, you know. This is um, very strict practice. It's not that wholesome uh, and positive energy comes doesn't come your way it does it will as we know through our practice life however the um are we doing the practice in order that we get those things and in the prashna paramita it basically says this is not practicing the precepts really if that's what it's about there's a story about Suzuki Roshi about, around gaining idea that may, many of you may know. It's been told many times. It's when he was in college and he was, you know, he was ordained at 13 or younger even maybe. But anyway, as a young boy and trained very strictly with his teacher in monastic temple life. And when he was at college, 
he lived in a dorm situation and he wanted to, the bathrooms were not kind of um, kept up that well as can happen in college dorms, as we might remember. Um, so he thought, I'm going to clean the bathrooms, but I don't want anybody to know that I'm going to do this. I don't want people to see that I'm going to do this. Uh, I just, I'm going to do it. So then he would, he would get up like earlier than his, um, fellow, you know, students and hope that nobody saw him in there cleaning up. But then part of him kind of wanted them to actually see that he was cleaning the bathroom and doing this extra, you know, soji job. But then he really didn't want them, but he kind of did. And he just was caught in this. That's what I mean by this kind of sticky, like, Wanting to just clean the bathroom, but wanting to get the merit, you know. Finally, after this kind of sticky struggle, I think of it as being sticky. He just said, I'm just going to clean the bathroom. If somebody sees me, they sees me, see me. If they don't, they don't. That's it. And I'm just going to do it. And, and he kind of freed himself, I think, from, from this, um, dilemma around wanting to have this kind of pure practice and wanting people to know how pure he was you know it's very it felt very familiar to me this kind of way in which we can tie ourselves up in knots a little bit um, and do things uh practice precepts uh do wholesome things, but really, if we look carefully, we can see there was expectation of gain, or there was some subtle grasping, maybe, to be seen in a certain way. So, this um, in this lecture, this is from 1966. Um, he says we sometimes mistake way-seeking mind for gaining idea, or we get those confused because we do seek, we do, and and way-seeking mind, you know, that's another, that's the name for bodhicitta, rousing the bodhicitta. We do um, want to follow the way and study hard and sit and meet ourselves fully in freedom. And yet, he, in this lecture, he says, um, if you have even a slight bit of gaining idea, you, you're not at ease, actually. It actually gets in the way of just sitting with whatever comes up, with whatever our life is, with whatever our challenges are. If we can let go of gaining idea, in all its subtle manifestations, we can be at ease. And I would say relax. So, he says this is um, a kind of surrender 
surrender of getting anything out of it. So this is the security. As a follower of Buddhism, you should practice zazen. That's all. There is no reason. This is a strict practice to let go of and just sit because that is our nature. That is our Buddha nature, to sit in the middle of our life like a lotus in muddy water, not trying to get out of the mud. Lotuses, as we may know, only bloom in the mud and the, the lagoonish. They don't grow in clear water. So not even, not trying to get out, just letting our life force bloom, as Katagiri Roshi used to say. Taking care of whatever arises for us. And in the world, and in the collective, and our freedom and ease can only happen when all beings are free and at ease, actually. So this is our, this is our practice life forever. So those were some of the things that I wanted to share with you about um, not expecting any result and sitting with no gaining idea as uh, the full expression of our nature, actually. So I'm... Uh, I had a bunch more different kinds of stories and things. Uh, uh, maybe I'll tell one story because it's, it's a full moon in a couple of days. It's, it's a, it's a strawberry moon and it's a super moon. The uh, moon is at the closest part of the, um, ellipse of the, of the, um, I'm having a senior moment of the orbit, of the orbit. Uh, so it's going to be very big. Um, so there's a story of no gaining idea, which I, I read and heard before I came to Zen Center when I was um, probably in 1968 or something in, in Zen Flesh, Zen Bones, that book, which was one of the few books out at the time. And it's a story about... Um, uh, Hyaku, um, Hyakujo. And he lived in a hut and had very few possessions. And one night he came back and, and the door was always open. He had nothing to, you know, he kept the door open and the, there was a thief that had come into his hut. It was a full moon night. And the thief was, there wasn't much there, but he took his clothes. And but there wasn't much there. And Hakujo, it's not Hakujo. And the, the monk said, here, take my clothes. Because there was nothing in the hut much. So he gave him his clothes. And the thief was very surprised 
And he kind of ran away into the night. And the pre the monk called out, I wish I could give you the moon. And I remember reading that thinking, what what kind of a what kind of a person is like that, you know? And also what occurred to me was I wanna live like that. I wanna I wanna be that free, really and unencumbered and compassionate and kind. I wish I could give you the moon. I think it was Ryokan, not Hyakujo. It was Ryokan. So that's a story of no gaining idea. And out of no gaining idea comes compassion for others, um, you know, that flows. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for your attention. Is is there anything anyone would like to ask or comment on or uh, contribute to the evening's talk? I'm not sure. Let's see. I can't really see the Sangha. At Valley Streams, I can see the grid. So we'll, we will come forth from the window here. Okay. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll call on people uh, and uh, let you know. Thank you. Um, this is Jim. Yes, hi, you. Jim. Good to see you. <laughs> or see me among the masses here. Yes, yes. Uh, but I, I think, I didn't, uh, you know, oh, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I didn't know I showed you and Karen around uh, Zen Center in 1980. I don't remember I, I that. I didn't but... know that. I don't know that either. I don't remember it either. <laughs> but we'll assign that memory to Karen, though. Yes. Uh, yes. Thank and, you. As a, as a true memory. Um, so... Um, I was what was coming up for me when you were you know you were talking about no gaining mind is um oh that's so impossible <laughs> and uh and uh that one thing I think uh but when I hear that teaching I just I just remember that um you know my my consciousness is very flawed you know is I'm like a flawed person and um, and that uh, just like most everybody, and uh, that it is very you know um, you know it's a challenge to uh, well one thing I've been thinking about a lot lately is um, the object seeking mind and um, you know the the restlessness of the mind uh, the, that's always seeking to have something in front of it. Um, and um, I don't know how that relates, but anyway, it's what I've been it's thinking. Totally, about. it totally relates. I think <laughs> you know part of our suffering that we all know is the desires are inexhaustible, right? I vow to put an end to them. And yet there they are again. And we also know that getting 
the object of our desire, maybe for a moment, it's like, oh, delicious for the ice cream cone or something. However, it doesn't hit the mark, you know, it doesn't satisfy. It doesn't assuage, is that the word? Our, you know, uh, and settle our life. And and then we think, oh, I, we kind of learned this by now, but it still comes up. Oh, well, then I'll try this. Well, how about that? And desire upon desire is, uh, it creates more and more and more suffering, actually. So this gaining idea and desires, Jim, I feel is really, those are just merged really in, you know, I think those go together. Yeah. And what you said about your consciousness being flawed, um, I, I just wanted to say, um, you know, the, the two truths of our, um, uh, the, the harmony of difference and equality, right? There's, there's all the, um, uh, conventional self and all the, uh, the, there's, you know, that saying before the donkeys leave, the horses arrive. You know, the don't we, yeah, we're all, <laughs> I shouldn't speak about donkeys. They're, they're wonderful animals, but it's, it's a Zen saying before the donkeys leave, the horses arrive. We're all this interfusion of donkeys and horses. You know, we don't get rid of donkeys. And then we're, we're before the donkeys leave, the horses arrive. That's our Buddha nature. You know, this interfusion of the partial and the universal and the conventional and the ultimate. That, that's our Buddha nature. Uh, we're not trying to, uh, get rid of one, you know, but to study it and understand it and to protect ourselves and others from our, um, uh, when we're not paying attention, you know. Anyway, so the word flawed, um, um, I like to think of it more as, um, the reality of our, of our muddy water, you know. Muddy water and lotus are inseparable. The lotus comes right out of the mud and blooms above above the mud, but they're in it. So anyway, just wanted to say that. Thank you, Thank you. for your question and contribution. And, and I, yeah, the, the interfusion of the flawed and the perfect. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Yeah. You know, Tova, who's here tonight, sent me this poem about... Um, this Japanese practice of, of repairing uh, teacups or tea bowls that have broken. And the, the repair work is done very, very carefully with gold, using gold powder in, and, they, and 
you end up having, is it flawed? You know, would you, oh, I just lost, oh, there they are. Uh, you know, this beautiful object, you know, that's, that's infused with care and repair and transformational work, you know, and our lives are like that, I think. Uh, yeah. Anything else? To Hi, Linda Ruth. Hi, uh, who, who, who's that? This is Oscar. Hi, Oscar. Hi, Linda Ruth. Thank you for, it's good to see you. Good to see you. Um, so uh, I, I'm going forward with sort of a question, but actually you just answered it. So it's, it may be, it may be out of time, but I, I hadn't, exp I was inspired by, uh, by Jim's question uh, to, to memory sometime, a long time ago, actually. Now I was sitting in a lot of turmoil and, um, and out of nowhere came sort of a vision of the object-seeking mind. It was a vision. Uh, and the, one of the things I remember about that vision is the thought, one was, wow, the awesome energy of that thing. And the other was, there's no quality control at all. It just, <laughs> it doesn't care what it, what it's grasping as long as there's something to grasp. And, um, and it was, and, and I developed the viewpoint, which I still have. That's, that, that's that object seeking mind, that energy, that acquisitive, what's in it for me is just hardwired. Uh, I think in all sentient beings, I'm guessing. Um, so I've kind of, gave up on, on, uh, or I've come to have given up on trying to get rid of it, but just want ideally, you know, moment to moment to, to be, to notice it. Um, yes, yes. Well, you know, when you said hardwired, the other thing that arose for me was also, compassion and kindness and love is hardwired, you know. In fact, in this Dogen, Yakudo Yojinshu about no gaining idea, he brings up um, animals who take care of their young and sacrifice and insects who, with no, no thought of anything that will return to them, you know, they'll fly away, you know. Uh, that's what Dogen brings up, and this kind of deep compassion. That's also, um, I think the Dalai Lama says, innate. I don't, I'm not sure I understand exactly that word, but I like hardwired, you know. So, yes, so we've got um, a lot to work with, and I think what you said about the power of it, and also paying attention because it is powerful. And the precepts really, you know, are a lot about that. <laughs>
I so I I appreciate hearing that uh, you know sitting in turmoil and then this image of the the grasping mind just uh, presenting itself in all its uh, energetic power. Yeah. Thank you. I have a question. Cloud Rider here. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> um, well, a couple of things, but the first thing, uh, it occurred to me, uh, the story about Ryokan, I guess it is, the monk in the hut and the thief, um, and he offers his all of his clothing. But what, what I was thinking about then is, if if one can do that, to give so freely, it really requires uh, a lot of trust and confidence in um, the world providing. <laughs> Don't you, I mean, you see what I mean? I mean, because yeah. if, you, if you thought this is the only this is the only this is the only thing I have, I got to grasp onto it and keep it for myself. Uh, yes. That's not. The, if you don't do that, you got to have. You have some trust. You're right. You're right. That, um, yeah. And kind of fearlessness, trust. And, you know, I was uh, once given this teaching that all of us have, you know, the Buddha will provide what we need. It sounded kind of Judeo-Christian, but it, it came from the sutras, you know. And to have that kind of trust, you know, like it also means that we we practice, you know, we don't just sit around saying, okay, we're, give me my due. When already? When is it coming, folks? You know, I think it's, that's, that's another kind of gaining idea maybe, but that full confidence in the reality of our existence and the interconnected and interfusion. It's, you know, the story of Suzuki when he was dying and someone came to visit him and he had the color because of the liver, he was a different color and this person was visibly upset upon walking in the room. And Suzuki said, don't grieve. I know who I am. And that teaching, um, which really isn't to not grieve, grieve if you need to grieve, but the I know who I am and there's nothing to fear here. You know, I think, um, I think you're right. It's, it's trust in life, you know, in our, in our life of, of the Buddha's way. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I see that it's quarter to nine. And I think the schedule you sent me, we end at 845. Is that true? 
Uh, well, it is true, but it looks like there's a couple more people that would like to that's ask fine. questions. So that's, that's fine. That's okay with you. I, we'll just yes, go a little yes. later. Sure. Okay, thank you. <laughs> well, I, I wanted to thank you so much. Um, this is Dora Lee for your Please. teaching. I, over the, this past week, I was in a lot of family situations and one interactional pattern occurred with my brother that was so disappointing to me. But now hearing your talk, it's like, oh, yes, that disappointment is an expression of gaining mind. Because I wanted something to happen that didn't happen. And once I heard all of this, it was really interesting. Physically, I could feel my heart untwist. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was a nice, nice gift. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that wonderful story and your your ability to uh, reflect and have that insight is really, uh, I really appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. Hi, my name is Dunya. You can't see me and you don't know me from before. <laughs> we don't go back to 1980. <laughs> I'm relatively new here. Um, I was also thinking about other people's suffering and the difficulty of relating to that. Um, I told one of my kids, my kids are 12 and 16, and one of them was upset or struggling, the 12-year-old, and I, you know, I was worried. And they turned around to me and they said, what are you upset about? And I said, well, I, I'm, you know, worried. I wish, want to wish you to be happy. And they said, you want me to be happy so you can be happy. <laughs> so you can think, my little project is going well. It's turning out. And you can give yourself a pat in the back. You're not worried about me. You're worried about yourself. And I thought, ooh, burn. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> it's true. <laughs> um, but, you know, I was thinking about the story, and I wish I could give you the moon. You know, I mean, I guess the... I, I'm an English teacher, so I can't help but analyze and say, well, it's kind of like wishing enlightenment to the other person, that inner, you know, radiance, the actual light, and not the rags you stole out of the hut. And, uh, you know, that is what Bodhicitta is, is wishing for the awakening of all beings. And yet you can hold even that with a sense because then I wouldn't have to worry about all of you, <laughs> you know, like what my daughter said. So this feeling of like self-serving edge to bodhicitta, so everybody could finally be happy and peaceful. And that sense of trust, you know, that um, you were talking about, it just so hard because it's a trust that goes beyond thinking everything's going to be okay. I mean, you know, when I see my kids struggle, um, my brother, 
when he was killed himself when he was 27, he was schizophrenic. He didn't know who he was, and he died, and I couldn't do anything about it. You know, to have trust in the face of that, um, it's like a whole other thing than like knowing your teacher is dying is like a person who's in their Buddha nature and centered in that. So, you know, when you see your kids struggle and you're like, well, for me to really not have a, you know, gaining idea here would be not even to have a gaining idea of hoping that kind of outcome is never going to happen. So <laughs> I can stop there. Yes, yes, yes. Well, I'm very sorry about your brother and how, you know, that conditioned your whole life and your concerns and worries that come up unbidden for your own kids. And it, it just, that is part of the causes and conditions of your life that it's, that's um, something that you've had to meet over and over and over. And, and so with your daughter who, I, I, uh, it, it's very, um, uh, spot on, you know, for a teenager to talk like that and, you know, to say, what is there a grain of truth in there? What is this about? What's, am I trying to fix things? Am I, I mean, I know people sometimes, uh, this happened to me when there's been a death in the family, let's say, or something, it's like uh, the way people treat you, you have to take care of them sometimes, you know. They're so worried about you that somehow you have to take care of them rather than you receiving the support from them. So I think with our children, how do we uh, not try, not turn away not ignore kind of the give your sheep a big pasture, you know, let them find their way. And so we don't turn away, but we don't fix, even though we feel unsettled and wish it would, wish things were going well for them, you know. Anyway, for your daughter to say, you want me to be happy so that you, your project, I, it's it's very um i can imagine that was that hurt to hear and and also the honesty that you know that speaking that way um feels like um she there's a there's a strong enough bond there that she can say that i don't i'm just intuiting that but that's what it sounded like to me so yeah you no know, definitely she said um you know and yeah is that am i right and i said yes you are right i i am a concern for my own suffering in the ba basis. And she said, and do you think you're going to get enlightened that way? <laughs> and I said, no, probably not. And so she said, well, then don't worry about my problems. <laughs> worry about your own problems. 
<laughs> so yeah. I was like, thank you for that teaching. I shall now take myself. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. And you're there for her, you know, uh, and want to be and want her to know it. And it, that's not going away either. You know. Yes. Uh, well, thank you. Thank you for that. Sharing that story.